Well, makers, friends, the September dinner at the Lexington was such a hit, we decided to keep it going for October. We're hosting another Makers of Minnesota dinner at the Lexington in St. Paul. Not only will you be front and center with some of the best makers in the Twin Cities, but you will be treated to a three-course dinner compliments of Chef Antonio from the Lexington, who'll be using the featured maker's ingredients in the courses that he's making for this special event. Our October dinner is Tuesday, October 26, and tickets are $98. Our featured makers are so fun, including Sweetland Orchard out of Webster, Minnesota, who's making beautiful ciders, apple ciders, and hard ciders at their orchard with over 50 varieties of apples. And also on deck is the humble goat cheese made by the folks at the award-winning Stickney Hill Dairy Company and K-Mama Sauce, the slightly spicy and slightly sweet K-Mama Korean hot sauce. I'm just crazy about this sauce, and my friend and maker Casey calls it the Korean ketchup. He puts it on everything at his house, and I do too, and it's featured in the first ever Makers of Minnesota holiday box filled with my favorite products from Makers in the Twin Cities. So we'll be taking orders for the boxes on site at the Lex too, which I'm excited about. I just can't wait to see how Chef Antonio will use all these ingredients in his multi-course menu. We'll have a limited number of tickets for this special dinner, and when they're gone, they're gone. So go to thelexmn.com and sign up via Eventbrite for the Makers of Minnesota dinner for October. Get your tickets now at thelexmn.com for Tuesday, October 26th at the Lexington. and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast. I'm Stephanie Hansen, and I am your host. And I love this podcast because I get to talk to cool people doing cool things. And occasionally I get to circle back and reconnect with those people. And today I'm talking with Gretchen Prebex from Sweetland Orchard. And Gretchen, the last time we talked was in 2018. It's hard to believe, isn't it? I was wondering when that was exactly, but 18, so much has changed since then. Yeah. And I'm so glad to reconnect with you because I first found out about your delicious artisanal orchard and your beautiful ciders from my friend, Melissa Serdic. And I remember going into Serdic's and her like leading me over to the aisle And she was like, all of these ciders are so good. You have to try them. She was like an early fan of yours ever since. And I think the first one I had was the rhubarb apple scrumpy, which is a delicious, delicious cider. And um, yeah, so I'm happy to reconnect with you. In a nutshell, what have you been doing since 2018? Uh, Well, for the past year and a half, (laughs) (laughs) life is life on the farm was almost the same during, you know, COVID. Yeah. Uh, Business was drastically different, of course, with no restaurants, no bars, no state fair. That was a really, really big deal. But fall of last year, everybody had a ton of pent up demand. They hadn't been able to do anything. And fall came around and they thought, oh, going to an apple orchard sounds like a fun, safe activity. And we were so busy last fall, like probably four times busier than my busiest day ever is about what I figure. And so it was like a reinvention every weekend, trying to accommodate people, trying to provide them the, the, a good experience, like something at all akin to what they'd had before. Cause when folks came down here before, it'd be like, Oh, oh, you open. I I wasn't sure there weren't that many cars in the parking lot, (laughs) things like that. Yeah. You know, and, and I get to talk to everybody that came through here. And then last year, I mean, the social distancing compounded the effect of like looking like everybody was everywhere, but um, we really had to change the way we were doing things down here. 
uh, but necessity is the mother of invention, you know, and <laughs> that works for, a, it works like that. It works that way for a lot of us. And so, you know, adapted and came up with a really, really nice alternative to the communal tastings that we used to do. And uh, so we're using that this fall and, you know, the restaurant and bar business is ramping up the state for, of course, wasn't a hundred percent, but I wasn't counting on that being the case anyway. It was just great to get out there. And so, yeah, since 2018, in terms of the ciders, probably a lot more like specialty offerings with the dessert ciders, ice ciders. Yeah. And ice cider is something that is really popular in Canada, in Montreal, and sort of taking off here. I liken it maybe to like kind of the taste of like a more fortified wine. Tell me about uh, your ice ciders in particular and why you're excited about them and also about the dessert ciders, because I don't think I know about those. Well, I mean, I grouped the ice ciders into that group. So okay. we, we started making ice cider. Oh, it's hard even to say exactly which year it was, maybe 2015, 2016, you know, just teeny tiny batches. And and we uh, started making more and more. And then we started barrel aging it. So, I mean, an ice cider is like an ice wine, except made with apples instead of grapes. And so the way we make ours is uh, we just let juice, like the fresh pressed cider freeze outside in the winter. And then before spring comes around, we bring it into the cidery and just start to let it thaw a little bit. And when you drain off a giant hunk of fresh cider, it's all of the concentrated juice that thaws first. So the stuff like just concentrated with flavor, concentrated with sugar. So that's what drains off first, kind of leaving a a more of like a diluted cider ice chunk behind. And so we take that super concentrated non-alcoholic liquid and then we ferment that. And so that's then what makes ice cider. So it's not a distillation. It's still just a fermentation. It's just you're fermenting a super concentrated uh, liquid. And so uh, we worked with our regular ice cider for a while. And then we thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to barrel age some of this? And so uh, we ordered some barrels from Black Swan Cooperage. And um, we did a version that was just aged in a new oak barrel. And then a long time ago, I got a tip from a barrel broker about how rye whiskey was like the, like the version of whiskey to use in conjunction with apples. And if you've ever had a Johnny jump up with rye whiskey and maybe a nice apple, slightly sweet cider, you're like, Oh, it, it works. It works better than uh, bourbon. And so I, well, and I make my Manhattan. Sometimes I substitute ice cider for sweet vermouth. So it just, it works. It just works fabulously. So I got a couple of rye whiskey barrels from far North spirits up in Halleck. Sure. And I aged some uh, ice cider in that, and um, it was it was great. So we've done a couple of versions of that now. I'm experimenting with some other barreled spirits, and so we've got those three variations. And then we made pomo because we have a distillery license too. Uh, and so pomo is unaged brandy combined with fresh pressed apple cider, and then you age that in an oak barrel for a good chunk of time, at least a year. Uh, and so that one whiskey drinkers do like it because it's, it's very spirit, spirit forward. And then the really neat thing about that is after it leaves your mouth, you just have like essence of fresh apple in your mouth for like five minutes afterwards. It's amazing how that turns out. So it's really nice to be able to offer that too. And then, um, then I made a cider. It's not as much of a dessert cider. It's more of like an aperitif cider, or maybe a digestive cider, you could say. So kind of like a vermouth, mm-hmm. except apple-based. You're making me really sad that I didn't drive down there today and that we're doing this via Zoom because I'm just like... <laughs> it would have been so fun. And I know if we did a tasting too, because when you get an opportunity to taste things side by side, you really can start to taste some of the subtleties of all of that. Yes. 
Yeah, it's an education and tasting's always been such a huge part of what we've done down here with the apples and with the cider. And yeah, you you can you can learn something you about the product, about yourself, about your own tastes. So um, let's talk about if people were to come and visit you this fall, like what does a tasting look like or what do you do and how much does it cost? And give me like the brass tacks so that okay. people know. All right. So some people come down here without reserving a tasting kit, but I most people come up down here with reservation for the tasting kit. And I think that's the way to go because I think it's just really fun to taste all those different things. So folks hop online and they make a reservation for an apple tasting kit or a cider tasting kit or both types of tasting kits. And then I have some add-ons like you can then taste uh, the heirloom apples we have available in a given week, or you can then add on the dessert ciders and people usually add donuts to their kits or beef jerky or farm bread, you know, things like that. And so this is what we're doing instead of accommodating that big communal tasting experience. But people really liked it last year because then they could take their prepared tasting kit uh, and like have a private party and be as leisurely as they want. And I want right. people to come down and just enjoy a day in the country, just relax, take the time to taste all these things. So they they bring the tasting kit. We've got just all of the labeled samples, cutting board, little tasting glasses. And then I've got all a, a tasting note for every single thing that somebody's tasting. So they can just go through and usually somebody kind of plays host of you know their own party and they read all about a certain apple or cider that they're tasting. I and love it. Yeah. It's last, let's see. I think last weekend I had seven apple varieties and then in the heirloom tasting kit, I had five more apple varieties, which gets to be a lot of apples to taste. And then the regular cider tasting was uh, six ciders. And then in the dessert cider tasting, it was five more. So some people came down and just kind of did a whole kit and caboodle and and like have a great time (laughs) because they just get to sit and taste and do it on their own time. Right. When you are at your orchard and you like, are you always planting different strains of trees or are you using the apples that are on the farm? Tell me about like how you're getting all these different apple varieties. Okay. Well, when, when we bought the orchard back in 2010, there were already 50 apple varieties here. So that was a fabulous start. Uh, Bob Lees, the former owner, was able to grow varieties that really weren't supposed to be able to be grown in Minnesota because most apple growers maybe have a dozen different varieties planted all from the University of Minnesota. And I thought 50 was a really good start. <laughs> uh, and we started with a thousand trees. So now we have 5,000 trees. Wow. Uh, all in the same footprint. And the reason we're able to do that is just planting the trees kind of on a new system. You know, just how like corn and bean growers are kind of maximizing the yield from their acreage. I'm trying to do the same thing. Uh, and so I'm planting my trees on a trellis um, because they're they're planted on a dwarfing rootstock. Yep. Uh, and they can't support the weight of the crop that they'll ultimately bear. But it's a really it was a really good way for me to add 50 more varieties to the mix. And I just look uh, I look to see like what would theoretically be hardy. I mean, they all sound good. <laughs> There's a lot more apples and pears that sound good than what I'm actually able to plant. And so if if I have any experience with an apple or if uh, the U of M has any experience with an apple, because they have got a lot of apple varieties planted there that they haven't developed themselves, but just, you know, like a bunch of Canadian varieties or North Dakota varieties, stuff like that. So if I know that that tree is going to make it through our winters, I'll plant, uh, I'm fine putting in an order for a hundred or 200 or something like that. If it's completely unproven here, I'll order five or 10 or 25 or something like that. And then I'll just see how it goes for four or five years. And then if it works out, 
uh, if the trees are alive and, and doing well and thriving, and I actually like the apple, then then I can scale it up and plant a whole bunch more. So apple growing and being a cider maker is sort of a long haul game, right? Because you only have each season to get your haul and then you can experiment with it. And so you're already thinking like five and 10 years into the future. And with COVID, that must just be like really upsetting the apple cart as it were. Uh-huh. <laughs> see what I did there? Oh, yeah. yeah, I see what you did there. <laughs> well, you know, people... When we started selling at the farmer's market back in 2009, I was just astounded by how easy it was to sell apples. So there's always there's always a market for food. And these yep. days, thankfully, there's always a market for locally grown food, grown by people who are paying attention to uh, all of the management techniques that they're using to grow it, which is something that I've been interested in the whole time. So I'm not really worried about apples. Yeah. You know, like having a market for apples. And I always wanted to sell apples in addition to doing the cider. So in that regard, I think that apples are a safe bet. Um, And I think that we do things down here a little differently that people are, you know, they can come down here and have an experience. And, and I mean, hopefully the pandemic scenario won't get any worse than it was last fall. Yeah. And people are really interested in that experience and certainly with families and kids and just couples and people looking for unique things to do. The farm is in Webster. So that's about 40 minutes outside mm-hmm. of the Twin Cities. Um, and people can go online at sweetlandorchard.com, I'm assuming, and get reservations. Yep. I want to talk a little bit about, tell me about, you mentioned the State Fair. Why was the State Fair important to you? Is it because of the Cider Guild uh, activation there? No, the Ballpark Cafe has been a customer of ours since 2015. So they started selling two flavors of cider there in 2015. And the state fair is important to us because uh, for a while they were buying about 20% of our entire production in a year. So that's, yeah, that's a really big deal. That's, it's hard to make up in any other kind of way. And we still sell a lot of cider at the fair. People are very thirsty. We've (laughs) sold cherry rhubarb in Minnesota. (laughs) It's usually hot, right? And and you got to wash down the onion rings with something. I so, knew that you, I knew you were on tap there. I didn't realize that it was such a big footprint for you. Right. Yeah. I think people, I think people have thought for a while that we're a much bigger operation than we are. We're not, we're not, we're using, I mean, we're using the apples we grow. We're using apples uh, from white, uh, from pine tree orchard in Wiper Lake. We're using some apples from uh, Pepin Heights down in Lake city. Um, but it's, you know, it, the production is just not that big. We're we're a really really small operation. So yeah, the I mean when the state fair buys or when the ballpark cafe buys, you know, fifteen now it's about fifteen percent what we produce annually. Yeah, it's a really really big deal. Yeah, a big deal. So were you able to hold it for the next year, or what happened to all that cider? Well, that's that's an interesting question. I know you're super like business minded about this. So like this was the challenge last year. It's like, well, okay, I've got the state fair is now not happening. I'm not selling to restaurants. I'm not selling to bars, you know, or a little bit. The liquor store sales don't make up for that, even though those were a little bit better. So my challenge then was to figure out how to keep all of that kind of bulk unblended cider. I had an inventory, how to keep that in really good condition uh, because the cider will kind of fade with age. Yeah. And then it meant that I had to just try and sell more fresh. So more fresh apples, more fresh, fresh cider. 
Okay. And so last year, I mean, I, we did end up doing that just through all the people coming down, but at the beginning of the season or even earlier in the summer, I didn't know that that was going to happen. Uh, and so last year I put together a CSA and we were doing weekly and every other weekly deliveries to about six different drop sites. Um, and the CSA included apples, fresh press cider, hard cider and cider donuts. And that was really fun. And people liked it. I made little videos every week telling people what was in their kits. But yeah, I just ended up selling a lot more fresh. Um, do you think I mean, you'll do the CSA this year? I would, I would have done the CSA this year because it was really fun to do it. I mean, I just like, I kind of like feeding people and like picking out like, Hey, here's the best of the orchard for this week. But there was a a pretty bad freeze on May 11th this year, May 11th, May 12th. And a lot of my early varieties were in bloom and it got down to 24, 25 degrees. And so that freeze just basically killed off the blossom. So my harvest is just down this year because of um, that loss. What does that feel like when you like go to bed and meteorologist Paul Douglas says, you know, we could get a freeze tonight And for you, like, it's so much more than that. It's really an indicator then of what the year is going to look like. Do you just, how do you deal with that emotionally? Well, I mean, it's out, it's so out of my control. So there's, I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. And I think that's one of the, like, that was one of the keys to like learning how to be an adult for me. It was like, understand what's in your control and what's not in your control. And I am a really, I am kind of a perfectionist type. So it's also really interesting for me having this complete, such a nature-based endeavor (laughs) and you can't control mother nature. You just can't. So you have to, you know, let things go. So you, you hear that stuff and you're like, you know, you know what it means. And maybe you look it up and be like, well, what is this really, you know, if it gets down to 25, what, what is that going to be? Is that going to be 90% loss? Is that going to be 75% loss? And it can't keep you up at night because there's nothing you can do about it. And so then you go out in the orchard and take a look at some of those blooms and you're like, yep. And there's no like covering them. There's no, I mean, you just have too many and you just yeah. My, is. my buddies up at pine tree in 2012, when we had that, uh, when, when it was 80 degrees on St. Patrick's day and yep. then all the trees blossomed about a month early, they built giant bonfires and hired a helicopter to just try and save some of that crop. Yeah. Cause but, they had the air blowing down. Did it work? Mm-hmm. I think the, re- I don't think it worked too great. I mean, there, there really isn't, yep. there's just not much that you can do. Does that, when you think about climate change then, and the warming and how the weather is becoming so unpredictable and, more fierce storms, more wind shear, more hail, all those things that are hard on a farm. I guess, again, you can't do anything about it, but are apple growers doing anything in anticipation of changing climate? It's very, it's difficult. I mean, the the one thing that some growers have done is install some hail netting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's people who are very interested in that. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense for an operation like mine, but for larger operations that are, that are selling wholesale and packing apples to sell the grocery stores, that kind of thing makes sense. It's a good investment for those kind of kinds of operations. For smaller operations like mine, there there is just so little to be done because it's not it's not about like a uniform warmth or a uniform change in precipitation. It's more like uh, you know, on average temperatures are going up. And on average for a while it was getting just getting wetter and wetter. And now we've had this drought summer. So you just before you make more investments, you definitely consider the impact of climate change. Right. I mean, I still think we we, we need to grow food. Yep. <laughs> so I still think that this is a good thing to get into, but I don't know. 
I mean, for myself, like when I make a, when I'm considering buying more land to plant more trees, that's still a direction that I would go in. I mean, Brian Fredrickson out in, uh, at Ames farm, he's, he's lost so many crops. I, I don't, I don't know at where you get to the point where you say like, I just can't do it anymore. You know, I've yeah. lost crops, you know, over half, you know, half the years I've been doing this or what have you. And I haven't, although I've kind of assessed the risk in terms of, does it make sense to buy more land and keep doing more of this, keep planting more trees? And I'm comfortable with that. I haven't even gotten to the point of like, well, well what, what would it take? And I think catastrophic loss year, year over year is probably what it would take because Are you in- I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing to lose a crop. It's another thing to lose trees like yeah. entirely. Are so, you insured for a crop loss or tree loss? Uh, no, I, in 2012, I got a payout and it was about $1,700 from losing 90% of my crop. Oh, so the federal programs don't work very well for specialty crop growers. Yeah. It just doesn't make, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They've made some improvements, but not quite yet. Yeah. It's when you really start to hear about the farm programs and there's a million of them, they're so geared towards big farms and commodity farming and all the things that aren't super sustainable in the long term. It's it's I'm hoping that COVID has taught us that our food system is it lacks stability and by supplementing it with what the small producers are doing, that it could give it more stability in the long term. And so maybe there'll be more programs that smaller farmers or organic farmers or people that are closer to the point of origination to some of these cities can do more farming. Yeah, it, it's it's just a change does happen really slowly. And we've seen some changing demographics in farmers. But of course, you know, the, the feds are behind that. And I'm not even really all that familiar. I, I wouldn't be able to describe some of the um, commodity payments for, you know, the row crops that, right. that exist. Um, but I know it's very, very different. I mean, I've heard, you know, anecdotal, you hear, you just hear things anecdotally sure. about what um, a payment that a farmer gets from the government for not planting acreage. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, that kind of thing just doesn't yep. exist for, for us, but yeah, that's, that's our system. And I think I see, I mean, I see a lot of families, uh, kind of opting out of that system. We've got so many alternatives these days that we didn't have, like in the 1980s, you know, to just going to the town supermarket because we've got farmers markets, we have CSAs, we've got farm stands, and we are in a very good position for that right here um, because, you know, it doesn't take long to to leave the metro area. Or, I mean, I'm still in Scott County even, you know, right. so there, there are agri- small agricultural producers in the seven county metro area, but I know that that's also a, that is not the way that a lot of people eat. Like that's a really privileged way to eat mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, I think Minneapolis school systems are doing some interesting things too with contracts with farmers. Yeah, outside outside of that, it's the you're right. COVID has kind of laid bare some of the inequalities uh, and uh, weaknesses of yeah. our food system. On October 26th, a Tuesday night, you're going to be part of our second maker's dinner at the Lexington. And I know we're in September right now. We've just, I think, almost sold out of the September dinner and you're going to be our October lineup. We're going to have you, obviously, Sweetland Orchard. We're also going to be having um, the humble goat goat cheese from Stickney Hill Dairy. And then uh, we're going to have K-Mama Sauce, which is from our friend Casey Kai. It's like a Korean 
They call it the Korean ketchup is what he calls it. Oh, yeah. I'm familiar with it. It's delicious. It is so delicious. And it's going to be a really fun night. Uh, Chef Antonio is going to take all these products and turn them into a multi-course meal. Three courses are guaranteed, but I know they've always got a couple special things up their sleeve. And I don't want to put you on the spot about what you're going to have because I know you and Antonio will work it out. But I really am excited to bring your orchard to the Twin Cities group here that's going to be joining us at the Lexington. These dinners are pretty special. They're a small group. I think we sold out at 70 tickets. So you'll really get a chance to meet the makers and to hear their stories and to eat their lovely product and I just really appreciate you supporting a me and makers of Minnesota, but also the Lexington. And I know restaurant business has been important to you over the years. Do you like, do chefs find you or do you find them? They mostly find, find us, I would say. Uh, and sometimes it's just because they're coming down here with their families, you know, for the weekend, <laughs> you know, just for a weekend or in the fall, uh, you know, just as a family outing. And I, that's how it comes to apples and cider. When it comes to hard cider, I'm definitely going out to find to find them. Right. Um, but, you know, word, word of mouth is basically how my business has has grown. Social media is a really nice um, means to, and it, it's, it's nice to, social media, you know, puts your pu- publicity in the hands of producers, which is, is really fun for me. But and word of mouth has been a great thing for me too. Yeah. And your social media game is pretty strong and you get to see the orchard. Like it's so visual, right? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and there are definitely times in my life, like let's say the past two weeks, for example, when I've been too busy to put too much on social media. And I've, so I've thought, well, is there any way somebody else could do that? But nobody has, nobody is able to like tell the story of it exactly in the same way. Uh, Cause there's just there's so much darn stuff going on here too. Yeah. So well, we can, and we'll I really connect- do like doing it, but We'll connect offline. I can maybe give you some tools to think about that helps with automation. You can't really automate the story as it were, but you can sort of schedule some things in advance so that you've always got something, even if you get into a crazy busy week. So I will give you those tips while I'm at the orchard, having a tasting (laughs) kit in the weeks ahead. Thank you so much for joining us. It's Gretchen, uh, Sweetland Orchard, sweetlandorchard.com to get your reservations for the tasting kits. And please get tickets and join us at the Lexington dinner on Tuesday, October 26th. We are very excited about it. And it's our second dinner and it should be lovely. Thanks, Gretchen. Thanks for your time. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. So now that you've heard from Sweetland Orchard, I bet you're as excited as I am to taste their delicious apples apple hard ciders and apple wines. So join me for the Makers of Minnesota dinner at the Lexington in St. Paul on Grand Avenue. I can't wait to meet you and introduce you to Sweetland Orchard and K-Mama Sauce and the Humble Goat Cheese from Stickney Hill Dairy. So get your tickets at thelexmn.com. But hurry, this special event won't be available long. We'll sell out the restaurant for this special evening with a limited number of tickets. So make sure that you get online and get those tickets now for the October dinner on Tuesday, October 26th.